Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer, and Ben, also known as Ben Gracier, on the Data Mining team. It's episode 24. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we have a special guest, Celtic Seven Guardian. She's been a prolific decklist submitter recently, and her, along with Dwiggy, have been two of the most adamant supporters of Primal in our emails. So I asked her onto the show to talk Primal. So this week, we're going to do our typical card of the week, listener of the week, and list of the week, as well as as our seven-win run breakdown. And then for our main topic... I'm going to hand it over to Celtic Seven Guardian, and she's going to talk all about Primal. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. I so am too. We'll, I've never been on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, it's good to start low, and then you can work your up your way up the uh, podcast echelon, I guess. But <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to talk more about you in a little bit, but first um, we'll go to our listener of the week. And this week we're doing uh, Matty Oker. He is an eternal streamer. He streams usually nights, at least for me, which is uh, Eastern Standard Time. And he does a lot of draft. He's a pretty chill guy. He likes to talk. He interacts with chat. So I've been really enjoying his streams recently. So I recommend all of our listeners go check him out too. And he's been sending in a bunch of deck lists. And so it's just been a lot of fun uh, watching his streams. If you haven't checked him out, please, everyone, check out his stream. Uh, Celtic, how was your draft week? Pretty darn good after some rough patches. Had a hard time at the beginning. And then last two drafts I had, 7-1, 7-0. The ever-elusive 7-0. <laughs> so got me into Masters. Really happy about it. But then I drafted a four-faction deck because the packs did not agree with me, and I've not I've been too scared to play it. Yes, I'm actually very in a very similar boat. Uh, as the listeners will hear later on when we review this draft that I drafted the other night, still haven't played a game with it, and I'm <laughs> I'm sort of dreading dreading the games I do have to play. But yeah, I've been. Um, having a pretty good month so far i haven't done a ton of drafts but i'm continuing my long tradition of getting a seven win run and then immediately oh ring the draft afterwards mm. i i really don't it's it's like it happens scarily often and i'm not sure if there's like a mental block that i have or something but i re- i really have a lot of trouble getting over the hump once i once I feel like I finally understand a format, I immediately bomb the next draft. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I know that I've had my rough patches. Like, I know that I had a 0-3 a little while ago. That sucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's never fun. Especially when the worst is when you, you get a 7 win and then you, like, you finally go a little positive and you're gold. And you're like, oh, great. This next draft, all I have to do is get, like, two wins and I, I'll have enough uh, gold for another draft. And then nope. you immediately, immediately O3 it, and you're like, oh, I don't have enough gold for another draft now. Pray to um, the RNG gods that you'll get a chest upgrade. 
Exactly. Oh, hey, that's actually, I'll mention that here. Today, first ever bronze to diamond chest upgrade. Oh, congrats. Those are rare. Yeah, that's very exciting. So I knocked that off my list. Mm -hmm. I, um, you might have not have known this. I've, got, I've checked off a few things recently. I had, up until last week, I had yet to ever win a game with a Heretics cannon. And I have had about, up until that point, I've had about 10 decks that have had Heretics Cannon. And I had never won a game where I played the Heretics Cannon. I had won games with the deck, but not with it. And then I finally, I finally did it. I won three games in that draft with Heretics Cannon. So that was Congrats. another, another thing. And it was, every, <laughs> it was so embarrassing because everyone's like, this card is unbeatable. You just play it and win. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. But every time I play it, I immediately die. Look, but, uh, I mean, flash freeze is a thing, and that's what's gotten stopped me from Heretics Cannon. Which I'll speak more about flash freeze later because that card's criminally underrated. I I agree. We are um, Ruben and I are big big proponents of flash freeze in this format and in the last format. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then uh, Ben says he's been having a crazy month. He's had a few uh, bad runs very late at night, and if you guys would like to see that, you can check out his stream, where he, uh, at least for me, since he's on the West Coast, uh, streams at an obscenely late time. Okay, so card of the week. Do you want to start with your card of the week this week, Celtic? I think it's uh, on theme for the episode. Yeah. I decided to put this a little bit beforehand to kind of break up all the primal stuff. Uh, my card of the week is Nomad Fjotin, which I think gets very overlooked in this format. Well... Let's be fair, this is the only format it's been in, so a lot of people are feeling it out. It's a 7-cost 5-7, and that when you look at that, you go, that's pretty bad, isn't it? Then you see that it has Warp, and on top of that, Shift 5. Warp cards benefit more from being cheap. I think just about everyone knows that. But I have Warped this guy more than I haven't Warped him. Um, that could just be good luck, or it could be that having one copy, you're generally not going to have him in your opening hand. Um, and if you Warp him earlier in the game... Getting five unblockable damage, that's one-fifth of your opponent's life, not counting lifesteal. And later on, I've played him for seven, and he's just blocked things. You can't really get past seven defense easily. And I think that people overlook that flexibility, especially the fact that he's only one primal. So he's, if you see him and you need to warp him, and you go, oh, I've only got one primal. Oh, good, that doesn't matter. <laughs> I normally wouldn't splash him. I'm not saying that, unless you have tons of warp and shift synergy. But um, it makes it easier to cast him, and I think he's just great in Primal Deck. I'm always happy to pick him up, especially because he goes late. Uh, I have gotten them pack one, pick 12, like, way too many times to count, and I'm like, did somebody take vicious rumors over this guy? Really? <laughs> yeah, that's it's interesting, because uh, Snowmass Jotun, I think, in the way that you framed it, kind of reminds me of Mining Team a little bit, where you're just like, a four a four power two, two can't possibly be good, but the flexibility sort of bumps up the strength of the card. And, you know, Snowmass Jotun is, is neither uh four mana or four power or two power, but, you know, it does have that sort of deceptive flexibility mm -hmm. where when it's at its best, it is actually pretty good. And it also, like you're saying, seven, toughness is pretty big and it is a card that i never play because i don't really ever draft primal decks but 
when my opponent plays it, it's it feels like the game is over, especially when they warp it in. Not only does it feel really good to warp him in, um, it also feels good even just to play him from your hand for five cost shift if you're in a stable position, which oftentimes if you build the right kind of primal deck, you'll be fairly stable. They're kind of stally most of the time. Unless we get into Sky Craig, but let's not talk about that yet. So you usually have time to slap him down and turn five, even if you're not warping him. Uh, mm-hmm. I do. I really like Mining Team, by the way. I think that's a great card. So I, I like the comparison there. So um, Ben's card this week is Watchful uh, uh, Aminara, which is the 2-4 for three time. And he kind of puts this also under the cards that are criminally underrated. 2-4 is a pretty good body for three power. And it's a good blocker. It has uh, spell synergy. And so he's just telling everyone you should pick this higher. You know, it keeps you alive until you can finally play your behemoth flyers or weapons to kill your opponent. It allows you to scout, which is probably one of the most uh, missed triggers in the game. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I hate that. (laughs) And... um, and though it looks a little unassuming, it is actually doing really well in our spreadsheet where it's almost uh, two times the background rate and it's about the uh, 30th best common in our spreadsheet. So if people aren't playing it yet, he suggests you do. Uh, I will mention that I think that's a really good card as well. Uh, it's one of my top pick time commons. And the, one of the hardest choices for me oftentimes is learned herbalist versus uh, discipline, or sorry, watchful Aminara. Um, mm-hmm. They are both really good common time cards in that set. And you, oftentimes it depends on what your deck looks like. Do I need the two drop that helps fix or do I need the three drop more? And they're just, they're both stellar. I love them. Based on our our conversations so far, I think you have, you draft very different decks than I do. So this is, <laughs> this is going to be interesting because Learned Herbalist is actually a card that I've been going um, sort of down and down on while hmm. Watchful Aminara is a card I do like. You know, as like for a two drop, I'm never really excited to play a learned herbalist. And I think uh, the set six has, you know, I'd rather play Devotee of Sand and I'd rather play the uh, the two time two two that shifts for one in scouts. Yeah, so I think those are like better two drops than learned herbalist. And, and then even in the draft packs, I would almost rather have training grounds. Sorry. Yes. Training yeah. Ground is a, a totally different ball game, though. That um, combines so well with other things. You usually aren't picking that just because it's the unit. In oh, regards- I see. I, I, pick the, I pick Training Grounds as my two drops. I'm just like, oh, I've got my two drops covered. Because people cr- pick Training Grounds, I think. Uh, they undervalue that criminally uh, badly, too. No, Training so- Grounds is really good, yeah. Um, yeah so I like Training Grounds a lot, too. And in fact, I like all the cards that you just listed, but there's also the fact that Lord Herbalist goes well with all of them, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. It's more like, what cards are coming up to me? Did, did I manage to get the Evo Sand? No, I got a Lord Herbalist. Cool. Let's play Lord Herbalist. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder, are, do you splash a lot in this format? Uh, I usually try to avoid it, but sometimes I get really good bombs, and I just say, I've got Lord Herbalists, I've got uh, Seek Powers I managed to pick up, Cures of Crest, or not, well, sometimes Crest. Crests are really good in this format because of scouting. Um, mm-hmm. But um, whatever I find, if I splashed a Siphon Vitality uh, recently, and that was insane. <laughs> yeah, that's a great splash. I would, I would splash that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess I because I just view Learned Herbalist as a 2-2 two, two for 2, which is 
fine, but I I I feel like the um its spell comes up so so unoften that it's not really worth thinking about almost. Vulnerables for me is fixing when I need it, deck thinning when I need it. Um, oftentimes mm-hmm. I get to like eight power and I've got a sigil in hand. Oh, here's vulnerables. Let's just get another one out, get one health. Awesome. Um, it's a spell. It's a spell card. Or, yeah, but, uh, it's a card that you can use to break wormstone, get scouting from Amonero, as we just talked about. Um, there are, I think that's another thing. Learn Herbalist is just really flexible. And yeah. that life gain is not nothing. I have lived because of Learn Herbalist. Well, maybe I should move back up with it. I'm not saying how to draft. I'm just saying that I think it's a good card. Part of what I like about doing this podcast is it makes me think about cards in different ways and hearing yeah. different opinions and stuff. So it's just <laughs> very interesting. Okay. So I didn't really, I couldn't really think of a card this week, uh, to be honest. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Bren's Scrying, which is the one fire fell that has warp and scout. And this is a card that I think when you look at, you're just like, this does absolutely nothing. And then you think, well, there are scout synergies, so maybe it's possibly useful in that kind of deck. But then when I think about how great warp cards are just in general, and I'm like, if I could just warp this every game, it's really just like an opt from Magic, which is uh, just a blue, and then you get to scout and then draw a card. And since warping is kind of like drawing a card, plus it gives you the scout, you're like, wow, this is just like one of the best cantrips in the game if you can <laughs> guarantee that you're going to warp it every game. And at one power, you know, that's not impossible. So um, I've never been brave enough to actually put it in my deck, but I feel like it could possibly be very good. I've never actually played it myself either. I I keep thinking of the worst case scenario of that card, which is I will draw to my opening hand. I will feel (laughs) terrible. Um, Back in the Omens of the Past, we had Hidden Shiv, and that card was like, well, we could cantrip it off the top and it'll be great, or it can end up in our hand and we've got a plus one, plus zero weapon and it's awful. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, the, the scout synergy is more important, I think. So, not quite the same thing, but I think it's just too low impact in most decks. If you're, I mean, I've been heavy in scout. I love scout decks. They're one of my favorite archetypes in this format. And I still don't like Brun's Frying very much. But I haven't tried it myself. And, so, let's be fair. I just don't think I've seen it be very impactful. Yeah, it's just when, you know, sometimes they just go late and you're like, oh, I could pick four, <laughs> four of these. And then if I could warp it every game then I really would just be running a 40, uh, you know, a 41 or 42 card deck. Mm-hmm. And that seems really great. That's a possibility, but, certainly. Um, if you're lucky enough to get enough and think, well, if I chain these, then that's good. Um, yeah. I think I would rather try and play them both instead of just having a random one and seeing how that goes. But mm. I, I agree with you. I haven't been brave enough to try that yet. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's our cards of the week. So now we're going to go down to our to our seven win run breakdown. And for those of you who are listening for the first time or don't know, uh, one of the things that we do for this podcast is we collect everyone's seven win deck lists. So if you if you do a draft and you get seven wins, um, you can export it and then send it to our email, which is farmingeternal at gmail.com. And we have uh, two spreadsheets that sort of break down all of our submitted deck lists we have one that sort of goes faction by faction and says what factions are doing 
well, and then we have another one that actually breaks down what cards are in what decks and tells you like what cards have been showing up the most and are doing well. So uh, you can find a link to both of those spreadsheets in um, in the show notes, as well as a website that Ben set up with a link to that in the show notes. So either way, you have to go to the show notes. Uh, the other benefit of sending in a, a deck list is you get to hear me read your name on the show. So we'll start with that. So this week, we have a couple new submitters. Uh, the first one is Gibbon Plus Plus with five decks, Rizla, Savage Fantastic, and Waiter, as well as a bunch of veteran submitters. Abidnego, Ben Gracier with four, Celtic Guardian or Celtic Seven Guardian with five lists, uh, Clint McCool, uh, CMSNSU89, Dodo UK, Dubes, Dump Truck, Gato Sujo, Glos Zoo, Induku, Jedi EJ, Jed the Hamred, Jose Carlos 2121, Mancio 1982, Matthias, Matioker, Meagles, Marioc, Parmela, Patrick H, Raven Dragon, Rofer, SSJ1997, Spiffy Man, Tempest Dragon King, and Zerona. So thank you all for submitting a deck list. And for those of you who have never submitted one, please, if you do get a seven win, be sure to send that in. Uh, and then for our list of the week, we wanted to highlight Marriott's Huru Flyers list, which is uh, number 391 on the spreadsheet. It has nine flying units, eight primal non-commons, and a great ground defense to, to sort of hold down the ground while the flyers get in and a bunch of weapons and re retributions to silence uh, the enemy flyers. So if you'd like to see a great example of a who flyers deck in draft and another example of a, of a, of a good primal deck, and I think... Uh, uh, sort of a, a typical primal deck in this set in the sense that I feel like when you're in, <laughs> the people that go for the primal decks often end up with these decks that have a lot of non-common primal cards. Oh, yeah. Because I think that's one of the main reasons to go into primal is you're seeing all of these uncommons and rares. So yeah, so you can check out deck number 391 to see their deck. Since the last episode, we've had a... A, a bit of a jump in straight three color and um, in decks with the splash. So people are starting to figure out how to splash successfully in this format as compared to the first about month, month and a half of this format where we were, we were um, two color decks were sort of dominating the landscape of at least uh, seven win decks. And I know, uh, Ben, he's our he's become our resident splasher. So if you check out a bunch any of his streams, he's always drafting the um, the fixing high and then splashing and making these crazy decks. And then as far as the uh, faction by faction breakdown, it's pretty similar. It's uh, fire and time are both floating around fifty percent of decks, so they are still uh, sort of well and above the competition. Justice had been creeping up there for a little bit, but now it's fallen back down to Shadow, which is to about around 40%, um, which is, and we've mentioned this before, which is the percentage of a color that you would expect to see. You'd expect to see each color 
uh, 40% if you assume that all decks were two factions and all factions were equal. So um, Shadow, or Shadow and Justice are sort of right around average, and Primal continues to be at a lowly 20% of our deck lists. Rest in peace. Yeah. But um, we have uh, Celtic here to maybe give us some advice on how we can rise up and uh, raise that primal percentage a little bit. Because uh, Ben did the math, and you are definitely above the 20% mark for decks you've submitted. And uh, as we mentioned in our last episode, Dwiggy is above the 20% mark too. Mm. So there are people out there who are drafting primal and doing pretty well with it. So let's go on to our main topic, which is first we're just going to learn a little bit about you, uh, Celtic, and then we'll talk about your thoughts about drafting Primal. First off, um, so how did you get into card games and Eternal? Well, as a lot of people might notice, my username is based off the Yu-Gi-Oh card, Celtic Guardian. Um, Number seven is from its Legend of Blue Eyes number, actually. That was the pack it came out in first. So I was a big Yu-Gi-Oh player. I actually got into the newspaper when I was 12 because I was the only girl playing that tournament and I got second place. <laughs> My That's... crowning moment of achievement. <laughs> um, when I got older, it was hard to find people to play with. And it got, it, we all know what happened to you. you know, it kind of crashed into the ground after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I still love it. I still, uh, I still really appreciate what it did for me, but um, I moved on to try magic online Um Magic Duels was not good, let's put it that way, but it still taught me a lot. And then my friend who also hated Magic Duels, but like Magic, said, hey, I am this beta tester in a game called Eternal, and you should try it because I've got a free key for you. I said, okay, invent me into the closed beta, and I guess I'll see what happens. And cue obsession. <laughs> well, that's cool. So you've been playing since since closed beta? Yes, I have. I'm, um, I'm, not, one of the, I'm not one of the first. There right. are people who have seen, like, Madness at 2. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> but I am one of those people that has the really nice-looking fire sword veteran package thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the main thing that got me into it, I'm not going to lie, Draft is my favorite format. I adore limited formats. Sealed is also really good. I'm okay with Ranked, but it's Draft that Eternal has such a good drafting system. I've always wanted to draft constantly, and that's the way to do it. The reason I like drafting so much, because a lot of people that I've talked to actually said, well, Ranked is full of these really good cards, and you're having to lower yourself in draft. What's the appeal to it? Number one, I'm a materialistic person. I love getting things, so getting <laughs> to keep all the cards in your draft is beautiful. I will rare draft when it comes to legends I don't have. I am not ashamed to admit that. And number two, I love using cards that aren't used very much. Right. Now, you're going to still see, like, we were just talking about all these good comments, so you're still going to see those a lot, but you're not going to see them in ranked. Not usually. So it's a lot of fun to have a format where you can pick these cards that you normally wouldn't see and go, I'm going to just put these together, see how it works. So so are you one of those people that, you know, because in the last few weeks, I feel like, or every every few weeks, uh, it pops up about ways to make a draft cheaper so would you you would not be interested in a phantom draft i would be interested it would be fun to play that on say like mobile if there were no stakes because i'm always worried in mobile it's like oh no i've just lost five thousand gold because uh my phone glitched out and i couldn't play right um 
And sometimes you just want to have fun. You just want to try the Bren Scrying 4 deck and see if it works. But you don't want to pay 5,000 gold for that. Yeah, that is something that I... I Like, I don't mind paying the 5,000 gold, but I do feel like it's slightly too much for me to really explore. I, I mentioned this last episode with Ben, um, but, you know, Klubovich had that uh, an article a month or so back about Dizo's racket. And I've, like, tried a couple times to make that deck work and failed spectacularly both times. But it just feel, it feels doubly bad because it feels like you just wasted, you know, $5 mm. as well as, I've actually know. seen, um, I've, I've watched Ilian quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. very, very good drafter, really fun person. Also has a podcast of his own. <laughs> he uh, drafted the Dizos Racket deck and it was insane. I've seen that thing go off. Sure. I, I think Dangerous Drafting would be a nice option. I do like keeping my cards. I'd feel really bad if I got like a shiny legend went and cried in corner because it was a phantom draft, but <laughs> <laughs> why not have that option? No, I, yeah, I agree with that. Great. So um, are you involved with the community in any other ways? I was a tournament organizer for a couple of weeks for um, ETS. I would have liked to have done more, but they closed down shortly after. Other than that, uh, I watch streams. I say hi when I spot somebody that I recognize the name of. I <laughs> hang out in, um, uh, again, Ilian is coming up, but I hang out in his Discord, and there's a lot of internal players there. All right. So, yeah, so the our main topic is drafting Primal, and you've put in a, a lot of notes here in the show notes. So I thought I would just sort of let you take it away and, you know, I'd take a little bit of a backseat role and maybe just ask questions as they come up. Because uh, for those of you who listen to the show a long time, all three of us in Ben, Ruben, and me have really shied away from Primal. And I think it probably, that bias shows up in our episodes and how we talk about Primal. And I see on, you know, in the queues, a lot of, I face a lot of Primal. Um, So people are drafting it, but they, those decks either aren't, aren't hitting seven wins or aren't getting sent to us. And, and when I look at the Primal cards, I just like never feel inspired to really draft a Primal deck. So I'm really excited to hear sort of, what you're doing to get into Primal and what's sort of leading to your success in this, um, in that color. I will say that it, oftentimes it depends on what packs you're getting. If you don't see things that excite you, then unfortunately you're not going to try a faction. I, out of all the lists I submitted to this show, it was pointed out to me, I had one Justice deck that got seven wins. One! <laughs> and you're like, but Justice is great, isn't it? Not if the packs aren't open for it. So let's start with that. I think Primal seen in a negative light a lot because to people, they can't really recognize when it's open. And if it is open, well, a lot of people say the correct faction to draft is this, or like fire has the highest stats. I should, dra- I should draft fire. I should force it. The correct faction to draft in a pack or in a pack in a draft <laughs> is that is the one that's open. Whatever you find, whatever cards are flowing, it's hard to identify at times that that's the faction you should go with if you are a diverse drafter. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a lesson. This sounds really simple, but this is something that I I was first learning a lot of draft tips from Sir Rhino when he drafted. Really old name there, but what a great drafter. Um, and that was one of the things that 
one of the first things I learned and that I got better from was identify which actions open, go into it, even if it's not your first thought. Right. Um, some people really hate the play styles. Like maybe they say, I've tried this. I had a really good deck. I still couldn't get into it. Like I hate aggro decks. I can't play fire that well. Okay, fine. But at least you identified it was there. Now, let's see. Um, I think one reason that a lot of people can't identify when it's open is because a lot of the commons are seen as really bad. Mm -hmm. uh, you see a crystal dorg and you go, oh, this is primal, huh? Okay. <laughs> but I think a lot of the primal cards are better as support. I think primal in general is not supposed to be your, I'm going to be a main and primal and figure out what the other thing is later. More mm -hmm. like, here's the faction I want to start with. Here's how my primal cards support it. Um, Scaly Gruon, for instance. Primal decks love Scout, and Scaly Gruon gives you an opportunity to just plant something on the board, go scouting while people try and figure out how to get around it. I've had people use, like, daring maneuvers to get past Scaly Gruon. <laughs> Great. Right. Um, and it's really good for flying decks. You need to have things on the ground, or your flyers just can't do enough in time. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I agree that... <laughs> that primal would probably be best as sort of your secondary faction because, you know, um, Mum, when he was on the episode, sort of talked about how primal seems to have sort of two different things going on, where it has some, like, aggressively slanted cards, but then it also has all of these, like, defensive, defensive cards. So it doesn't really have a coherent identity. But then you're like, oh, well, as a, as a support color, you can just like pick the aggressive cards or you can pick the uh, defensive cards and use that to support the strategy of, of your deck. But then you get to like all of the good primal cards and all of them, I mean, not all of them, I, that's an exaggeration, but a lot of them are double primal, which yes. sort of wants you to have primal be your main color. And you're just like, and then you're like, but if I do that, I'm going to have to play all of these sort of bad primal cards that don't fit in with my overall deck strategy. That's certainly a possibility, but here's one of the advantages to primal being overlooked, and a lot of people say primal's a bad color, not gonna, or faction, not going to do it. Um, what they should realize is that when you're being, when you're in a pack that people are ignoring all the primal cards, look at all these sweet things you get. Um, you can often pick up a bunch of primal cards, especially commons, for free. And if you're playing another faction, it's like, well, here's all these dead cards I can't use. Right. If you're if you're playing primal, it's like, oh, sweet, I got a last pick snowmask Yoten. Let's slap that in. And that, you can't do that for all the uh, all the factions because you're going to get something like, I think I mentioned vicious rumors before. I've never seen anyone play that card. If you're in shadow and you're like reward with your last pick vicious rumors, you're not going to do anything with it. I know. I. This is an aside, but I wish Direwolf would stop doing it. Just like putting these totally unplayable cards in packs. <laughs> it's so frustrating to me. I don't usually uh, have as big of a problem with it, but I also don't have any drafting from Magic's perspective, so I don't know what their packs are like. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have actually a lot of um, Magic drafting experience either, but it was like in set five with all of those uh, zero-cost spells. Oh, gosh, those. <laughs> all the final packs were just filled with those and you're just like what is the point of even having this so yeah what i what i like about primal is having it as a support and we'll talk about the uncommons in a moment i think that when you look at uh two factions let's let's avoid splashing for the moment because a lot of times you're right it's very hard to splash good primal cards 
Um, so I'm talking mostly from a two-faction perspective. Um, I think that Elysian is one of my favorites. Um, mm -hmm. If I if I can uh, get some big time units and then get some evasive flyers, then looking good. Um, it's especially nice because of all the stuns, you can get your time units through really easily. Uh, just take all the flash freezes people ignored, spam them, hit, use uh, your corrupted behemoths or whatever and smack them in the face. <laughs> um, if you're going with Huru, look at all the flyers you get from Primal. Um, and you can have the scaly Gruons or whatever to hold down the fort. If you're going with Skycrag, that's more the aggressive style that you were talking about. But Skycrag is also really big into scouting, and Primal has tons of scouts. Right. Um, you can get such a overload of scouts that it's great. Even if you don't have scout payoff, scouting is good. It's a good thing to have. Um, and I think that Felm has had some really nice setups, too. I know that that's not really one of the bigger faction pairings that I've seen, but when I've played it, it's felt good. Yeah, Felon is actually our least submitted color faction, where two percent of our decks are Felon. <laughs> I'm not surprised, but at the same time, it's. I guess I go into Felon when I see the really good uh, cards for it, and that's why it feels strong. Right. Um, but it's hard to say. Um, and also, it depends on what kind of deck you're trying to build. If you have a twist deck, then all of a sudden, uh, it doesn't seem that bad to have your aggressive Earth signs going in, right? Right. Um, if you don't have uh, refreshes and you want them, then suddenly Furnish is looking okay. Mm -hmm. um, and Lightning Sprite is insane and Twist X as well. So I think that Primal has some nice Twist support as well as right. the Scout. And so, and is that kind of like the sort of the kind of deck you're trying to draft if you're drafting Falm? Um, I don't know about Twist specifically, although Razor Quill is super good, so I certainly wouldn't say no. There's also um, other synergies, like uh, I know that Shift is pretty uh, good in Shadow, and the Primal cards can support Shift while you're waiting for your Shifted units to come out. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the big things that I have a problem with with Shift, is people are like, Nibble Conscript is a great aggressive card. And it's like, yeah, until you have to survive long enough for it to come out and actually hit them. <laughs> if you're playing against a fellow aggro deck, whoops, uh, they might overrun you, because they had Oni Patrol 1, 2, then Sharpshooter, What's your nimble conscript doing now? <laughs> yeah. Though I will say, recently I had a deck with uh, four nimble conscripts and three corrupted behemoths, uh -huh. and then a bunch of other cards. And my whole plan was to just play nimble conscripts and then drop a behemoth to stay alive and then just hit them for a lot. And it, it worked out really well. I bet that when, I think a lot of times when you're overloading with cards, it actually does work out really well. There is such a thing as too much for some cards, but for a strategy like that, you know what you're doing. You're going in on it. And uh, to continue on the topic, I think um, I'll go over a couple of comments first. My top primal comment from Curated Packs, surprise, surprise, Flash Freeze. I think a lot of people hear that Flash Freeze is good and then don't really understand why. Like, stun two units, okay. What does that do for you? It's not killing anything, right? Well, it's got a ton of flexibility. Three costs is not that bad. Um, sure, it's I mean, it's not one of the cheapest combat tricks. I, I call the combat trick for a good reason. I'll get to that. But it's still within acceptable range. Usually you're going to use Flash Freeze later in the game where it's easy to hold up three power. If it's going well, it's a game finisher. Using it as a combat trick is one of my favorites. Somebody blocks with two units, you Flash Freeze one of those units, and then like some other spare that you don't care about. And then their other unit dies because they're double blocked and work. 
Well, you know, the stun is taken out of combat. So that's, you're no longer losing something. And if you have overwhelm, stunning a unit while they're trying to block an overwhelm unit, all that damage goes through. Your opponent suddenly took a ton from your corrupted behemoth they didn't expect. Stuff like that. It saves off damage. So if you're on the back foot, you can recover. Two turns um, of them not being able to attack is a lot. Mm-hmm. It might not seem like a lot, but when you're trying to get a lethal crack and you just can't quite do it, and they're about to hit you. Stun them. They, th- they thought they had it one. They don't. They just left their self-defense plus kill them. I've had people who have actually tried to get lethal on me, and I've gotten lethal immediately back on them just because they didn't hold back any blockers. Then there's uh, also the... Um, no. This is something that I think a lot of people overlook, and it's a very nice feature of it. A lot of cards, when they say, like, uh, choose two units or something like that, it's not a may. Flash Reads is a May. You don't have to use it on two. If they only have one, you could still use it. Right. And you might think that doesn't come up often, but think about the times that it does and think about how glad you are that it's actually flexible in that regard. Yeah. Though I actually have the uh, the opposite problem of when they only have one unit. I'm like, oh, just think of all the lost value if I play this on just one unit. You know what's a better value? Winning the game. Yeah, no, it's true. So, no, um, I, I get it. <laughs> so, are you willing to play multiple flash freezes in your deck, or do you just stick with one usually? I usually go out of my way to get one. Mm-hmm. Um, if I end up with two, sometimes I'll play two. More than that's usually a bit risky because if you're just stunning your opponent's units again and again, you're not getting anywhere. You have to have support for it. It's the kind of card that you want to be able to get once, and probably not more than that unless you're really practically scrambling for something. But I think it's just, it's also, a, it's just a really big disruption. And in terms of disruption cards, those can just be all you need to slam in when they're not expecting it. Uh, it's also a spell. Let's keep that in mind. There's a lot of spells matter cards and flash reads is a spell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, talking about the flexibility, that's why, I, you know, I actually don't mind playing two flash reads mainly because I can, you know, I consider myself very unlucky. So I, I feel like I require at least two cards in a deck to ever feel like I can draw it. But, okay. but it, it's also had a lot of luck having two flash freezes in a deck, you know, first off, because, because of the flexibility, you know, where you can use it as a combat track and then still have another copy there to finish the game. But also if you have two flash freezes, it sort of becomes a better Avalanche Yeti, almost. In a sense. <laughs> where there's been games where it's just like, flash freezed, got my hit in, you know, sometimes got my second hit in, and then I'm just like, okay, now I can finally kill them, and then I draw another flash freeze, and flash freeze, and then you finally win. You know, it, flash freeze, I, I just feel like flash freeze, if you're on the... I, I, you know, it's always hard. It's like, if you're on the front foot and can make those aggressive attacks, the opponent, once they're stunned, they can do nothing about it. And so it's just like such a powerful card that I don't mind having sort of an extra copy in my deck. Usually I like uh, I like that idea. I usually would take two as well if I had the room for it. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a question of, do I feel like this is stronger than my other cards? And usually one will say, yes, it is stronger by having one. Is the second one stronger than having this flexibility of a different card? Right. Let's think about that. Um, especially because uh, there is one big flaw, and that's endurance exists. 
Um, if you are against uh, somebody with a bunch of uh, orc uh, lookouts, I believe is what they're called, two, three, shift two, um, yeah. scouts, that uh, card laughs at flash freeze. Yes. And it's a very common pick. So, And then you've got stuff like Awaken Sentinel, and I'm sure there's others. Uh, Infinite Hourglass is a really feels bad moment. I, I don't think those are worth saying, let's not play Flash Freeze. I'm just saying, let's think about playing two just in case I run into a weird situation and I had this other card that was better I could have played for the mm. situation. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to say, I'll run two Flash Freezes, I'll say, go for it. It's good. <laughs> now, now that I've boasted about that, let's uh, go on to the others. Um, I think my top primal pick for uh, Dark Frontier is Snowmaskyoten. I won't go over that again. Just uh, commenting that's probably my favorite of that pack. Now... The uncommons. That's where things get tricky. Now, as for uh, uncommons, this is where it gets tricky. We've got a lot depending on the first pack, and I I would say Primal cares more about the first pack than any other faction, because that's where the real breadwinners are. If you want to be in Primal and get a sweet payoff, you need the uncommons. I. So uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but so do you mean the first pack is in pack one or? Pack one and pack four. I mean pack one because if you are going into pack four and you don't and you're not in primal, you're probably not going to get into it by that point. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I would say usually. Now there are exceptions. Let's say that we open a booster pack and here's the first card. It's you happen to have a peak top trekker in it. You look at your other cards. The rare isn't particularly good. The uncommon. There's some good ones, but there's Peak Top Trekker, and that, in my opinion, is one of the best uncommons you can get. Mm. Um, because there are so much scouting in this format that it is very easy to build around and get a sweet payoff off of Peak Top Trekker. And I have overrun people with this card constantly, and they recognize how dangerous it is. They'll try and kill it, they'll try and mute it, but if they can't do that, then game over. I have lived the dream of Peak Top Trekker with Cryptic Edgings. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very good feeling. Do um, you have a. Do you have a, a number of scout cards that you want to have in your deck to feel like you've supported your peak top tracker? I usually don't have to look that hard for them. I've never counted because I've always just looked at them and said, scout, 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 scout. Okay, there's tons of scout. Don't care. <laughs> usually, because um, if I get a peak top tracker, I usually go into a faction that supports it. Okay. I only ask because my only seven win deck with a primal. I actually went into Primal because I second-picked a uh, Peak Top Trekker. And then at the end of the draft, I realized that um, I only had, like, three Scout cards. I ended up cutting it, but I I had so many good Primal cards that it was still a great deck. But that it kind of made me think of, like, man, you know, is that number, like, seven Scout cards? Is that number ten? Is it, like... I really just want a cryptic etchings or, you know, uh, you do not have to have cryptic etchings. It's just a sweet dream that you can live out if you get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually those go late. So they're very easy to scoop up if you're looking for one. But what I will say is that I was watching a local Pojo stream. He first picked a peak talk trepper, the trekker over Kimmy, which I was surprised at because as somebody who loves peak top trekker, I still thought that was kind of a weird choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he just made it work. He went seven wins. <laughs> And a lot of it was because new lands to explore and all that. <laughs> but uh, to get back to the point I was trying to make with Peak Top Trekker, that's too primal. You're really committing to either losing your first pick if you grab that, or you're really going hard into primal. Right. Um, but the value is so good that I'm willing to take that risk if there's not, say, a bomb rare. 
Mm-hmm. Let's look at the other uncommons. There's a lot of double primal. We, you were just talking about that. Um, aggressive verse sign. I'm not going to verse stick an aggressive verse sign. That's a mm-hmm. good card. It's not good enough to make me say, I'm going to be in primal for this. I know there's classic matriarch, which I would consider risking because of 5 4 flyer that gives you warp benefits. I mean, uh, there's a lot of warp cards you could build around that by having it as your first pick. Mm-hmm. So it depends also on what kind of decks you're comfortable drafting. If you don't like risking it on warp, then don't pick first pick Mike Shark. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then you mentioned uh, Frost Elemental, which I find funny because I almost never see it. I think a lot of people either value it higher than the other primal cards, or I just haven't been lucky enough to get it that often. Yeah. Well, I mention it because um, as far as the primal decks that we've received, Frost Elemental is our uh, sort of, at least in the Dark Frontier packs, our, our sort of most valuable primal uncommon. And so it's actually the card that that makes me want to go into primal. Like it's 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 one of our best performing uncommons yeah. like in total. And so so yeah, so like Peak Top Trekker and like Cloud Snake Major are like cards that like if I get them I'm happy, ignoring the fact that I second picked it uh, a while just to what I said a little while ago. But it's usually like if I see a frost elemental then I'm like, oh well maybe I should go into primal. And that's that's mainly based on on just the data that we received as compared to just like, because I think if you read Peaked Up Trekker, you're just like, wow, this is the most amazing card ever. Um, <laughs> but as far as like uncommons that that appear in our deck list, Frost Elemental is actually like way, way above any other Primal Uncommon, except for Permafrost, but that's um, in the... Uh, yeah. Permafrost is a card. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, no, I think that I was about to say it surprised me, and now that I think about it, it doesn't, because it's very, very on the nose of what it does. You've got a 3-3 flyer for three. It's good. That's all you need to know. Right. It's got some text about shift units. Cool. Maybe that'll matter, but <laughs> um, Cloud Snake Carrier was an amazing card to grab, so there's basically Cloud Snake Carrier Light, that being the 3-3 for three rare that does plus one with spell damage and flies. Yes. So, basically, you took that and made it uncommon, and it Guess what? It's still good. Yes. Um, but I was going to say that I don't think it's the strongest by a long shot. I'd rather have Lightning Sprite, Avalanche, Yeti, Peak Top Trekker. I, I, I would be very happy to play it. It would not be a card that I would go into Primal just for. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. Um, I would be very, very thrilled to take it as, like, if I saw it as, like, maybe third or fourth pick, and mm-hmm. I didn't see other really good cards then I'd be like, okay, Primal's probably open because people would judge this as a good Primal card and the people in front of me don't want to be Primal. Good. I'll take it. <laughs> but I wouldn't first, I would not pack one, pick one it unless it was a overall kind of weak pack. Because there isn't a ton to build around it for, it's just a good card. Yeah. And with my first picks, I like to have something that I can build around, if possible. I am willing to just say, okay, abandon the first pick, it didn't work out, but <laughs> I like having that sort of uh, beginning section to go down oh that's that's really cool because like because i i'm the opposite where i find that when i start early picking build around cards that's when my drafts go the worst and when i start when i early pick just solid cards Mm -hmm. is when i do the best so i end up just usually just making good stuff decks as compared to synergy decks where I usually end up floundering a lot. 
I think there's a valid reason to go in either direction. I think they're both viable. Um, mm-hmm. the, the important part is to not get tunnel vision. Don't, if you first picked a really good rare and there's absolutely no support for it, don't hold on to it. Just sign, except that you've uh, not gotten a good enough run. <laughs> uh, move on to the next faction that's open. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, uh, I was saying that with Peak Tracker, that's one of the exceptions to where I would first pick, pack one, pick one that, even though it's a commitment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good enough commitment that I will try and make it work. If it doesn't work, then I'll just say, oh, well, sayonara to my first pick. Um, but if I were to see in pack one, pick one, Avalanche Yeti or Lightning Sprite, that's one primal. I would snap that up and I would say, I could splash that if I really have to. Mm-hmm. Those are cards that splashed. Those are cards that have won the games because they were splashed. And they're games that have been won because they're, I was a primal deck and I got those early. <laughs> Avalanche, so would you pick Avalanche Yeti over Corrupted Behemoth, pack one, pick one? Most likely. I would most likely do that because Avalanche Yeti has just been a super solid uh, card for me. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend other people do that. I don't know if that's correct or not, but since I am since I often find Primal going really late and being able to pick it up, I value that sort of getting rewarded for starting with it and ending up with a bunch of cards that people didn't want because it was Primal. Right. Um, but Avalanche Yeti in particular, I don't think I would take Lightning Sprite or Behemoth. Maybe I would. It's a hard call. That's a really good card too. Oh wow! Yeah. See, we have. Yeah, we have a totally. I would. I would pick Corrupted Behemoth over both of them, but I would probably put Lightning Sprite over Avalanche Yeti for myself. And that might be a better splash, maybe. But I'm just think of it this way: when you play Avalanche Yeti at six. You have basically removed two units from the game, perhaps for the rest of the game, because you needed that push to win. Right. We were talking about how good Flash Freeze was. Uh, Avalanche Shady can also hit one unit, but if it's hitting two, then you are probably going to overrun them during that period of time. I've won games because I've stalled out with Avalanche Shady long enough to draw what I need to win the game. Two unblockable damage actually can matter. It does get that unblockable attack when it, if it ends. And it's so hard to remove the card in draft. Uh, when it shifted. Right. You usually aren't going to have an area of effect that gets rid of it. If you run to the one person that happened to drive malediction, then yeah, that feels bad. But um, there usually isn't a whole lot they can do to recover those two units. And if you happen to have it as a 2-2 for 2, guess what? That's acceptable. Um, I have run decks where I've had enough avalanche of that I've been happy just to play one, and, and people are like, wait, you just played that when you could have saved it for six? And I said, yeah, I've got Onslaught. I want to attack with my avalanche Yeti. It's another card that's really flexible, really good. Um, and I don't think that people really understand just how much of a game ender it can be, because three turns is a long time. Mm-hmm. And also, if you are being really spicy, you can use Phase Out to do it again. <laughs> that is spicy. <laughs> Um, so those are the two cards that um, are not double primal that I would pick up just because if I had to, I could splash them. To reiterate, I would I would completely understand if somebody took Corrupted Behemoth first because Corrupted Behemoth is really bloody good. So I do not doubt I do not chastise anyone for doing that. Now, as like passing packs and seeing what's open, uh, uncommons I would look for are like Keen Saddleback, Cosmic Matriarch, Peak Cap Trekker, obviously, Frost Elemental, Aggressive Earth Sign. Those are all really good uncommons that are double primal. So if you see those getting passed, people probably aren't ready to commit to that, and you might be able to get in there. It's also usually not as bad, because if you were to, say, waste a pick because you didn't get into primal, um, 
those later packs usually don't have as much competition. There, there is a relatively low risk to taking your pack one, pick six, peak top trekker in comparison to picking it first pack. Um, and for the record, I have had a peak top trekker pass to me in pack one, pick six. And I have been just like, let's go primal. This is great. And if you're lucky enough to have some of the really bomb rares, Tamaris, Bam, Island Sanctum, those are all cards that if they get past you, then you're like, I don't know what they picked in pack one, pick one that was better than these cards, but clearly they're not interested in primal. Let's go. Right. Funny thing, though, um, I think Crashing Avalanche is actually not very good, even though it was one of those things I looked at and went, that's insane. And then I tried playing it. I'm like, that's really clunky. That's not good at all. So you really have to be able to evaluate the rares as well. I've been past Crashing Avalanche, and I've ignored it because it's just not that good. Um, so definitely don't say, there's a rare primal card, I should take it. Say, there's an island sanctum, let's take it. <laughs> so to quickly address um, the commons and uncommons and overall, just to give an idea of why I think they're still good, even though people dismiss them very quickly. Advanced Scout is one of the commons I'd like in the curated packs. I'm going to go through the curated packs first, then Dark Frontier. Okay. Uh, Advanced Scout, Flyer, Evasive, it scouts. Scout is really important. Um, I know it's got a very weak body, but that evasiveness and that scout is very important. I've had people deadlock me in the air with big flyers because they didn't want me to scout. Um, Aerial Ace, 2-3 flyer for 5, uh, has an Igus, uh, or however you want to call it. You just put a weapon on it, go to work, go to town. A lot of people don't really underestimate how valuable that keyword is. I think a lot of people just look at the 2-3 and go, that's a really bad right. And then you put like a heritage cannon on it, and then you win, because they can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Um, That could be said of a lot of cards. It could. I do not disagree (laughs) with this. But I do say the fact that you've got a flying Igus unit with heretics cannon is probably better than some. Anyway, um, no, it's just good for weapons in general. It's uh, it's also great for just being an evasive flyer. Um, Well, most flyers are evasive. I don't know why I said it that way. But it's very hard to deal with. You you oftentimes are going to need to use two streets of flame instead of one. And people might say that's not that bad, but it is that bad when you need all those removal spells. Right. Cause they catch lane. It That one's a little bit more difficult to rate. It's just a one-two for one flyer. But Onslaught is such a big thing in this format that I think having a one-two for one flyer actually pays off in some respects. Yeah. The, the thing I don't understand about Cloud Snake Hatchling is... I feel like everyone is really high up on the two justice one two flyer. On the other hand, people like that card, and then everyone hates on the one primal one two flyer, Cloud Snake Hatchling. And it just seems like gaining two armor is not as important as paying twice the cost. I think the main reason is that justice is heavy in weapons. Um, right. And, and you just say, I've got a Soaring Guard, here's a weapon, put it on, go to work. Yeah. Um, I think that they have had more synergy with it than Quasi Catchling because they haven't tried it that much. Primal is very scarce on weapons. You have to get those from somewhere else. Right. But um, the Onslaught is valuable. I And I just like having a flyer. I've played many a Vulture where I've just had a 1-1 Vulture pecking in for damage all over the game, and it eventually adds up. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that it does feel bad to draw Quasi Catchling later on, but drawing most one drops feels bad later on. Yes. Uh, so I will advocate for that. Obviously, we already talked about Flash Freeze. Lightning Strike doesn't need much info. It's a great kill spell if you're on the back foot. And sometimes you're trading attacks um, and your opponent thinks that they can get back in. And nope, you just load them into it because they thought they had a free hit and they didn't. 
Scaly Gruon, I think, is a fantastic defensive unit. Um, I've had people say, wow, I feel bad. I just won a draft and I had like two Scaly Gruons. And it's like, why do you feel bad about that? Your opponent <laughs> didn't do anything because you had Scaly Gruons. Torrential Downpour, I think, often gets overlooked. There's a lot of uh, units with one health in this. Oftentimes, you can throw off people's calculations by, like, they block, they live with one health, and then you torrential downpour them out of existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but most importantly, scout. It has scout. It doesn't matter if you're not killing something. Just play for the scout if you need it. Mm-hmm. Is torrential downpour another one of those just like a one-of kind of cards? Um, if I really care about the scout or if I have some card that synergizes with it very well, maybe two, but usually one. And those go late too, so it's very easy to pick one up later. Now, for uncommons in curated packs, uh, Clan Standard's very good for similar reasons as Lightning Strike. Um, all the standards are great, but I, um, I do think that's one that stands out. I think Fearless Yeti gets overlooked a lot. It's got the scouting synergy as well, and a 3-1 on 2 is solid. Overwhelm's good. Yes. And a lot of people would be like, why is this in here? Scout. You can scout tons of times with this thing if your mm. opponent can't kill it. Turns out Furnish is actually not bad on it. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Free Wing Glider. That's another one I think gets really overlooked. Free Wing, Free Wing Glider is fantastic on twist units. It's really good for um, evasion and onslaught and scouting. I have equipped Free Wing Glider onto many an Elder Meditant and gotten so many cards off it that people didn't know what to do. All while slamming into them with a increased attack value. And you're like, you could have just done that with Lightning Sprite. And it's like, I could have, but I made do with what I had and it worked out really well. No, Free Wing Glider is, I think, pretty underrated. It's a really nice card. You don't have Elder Shred in this format, and even though it's more expensive, it's also got more benefits. Then there's Permafrost, which you already talked about. I don't think that needs any sort of explanation. Skycrag Wyvark is a really good one. Uh, don't underestimate Killer. Yeah, it's a 3-3, three, three, um, but it's also just a 3-3 three, three flyer for 5, if you really need it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like it for is taking out your opponent's flyers. Now, that's really useful. Put that down, smack them out of the sky, and then let your other flyers get through or whatever. Also, Trigger's Onslaught. Killer's a trigger for that. Stormcaller's another good one, and I'm kind of surprised at how many I've seen, and they have wrecked me. They're, do not underestimate the ping effects. They really go in on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you're thinking, oh, that's not going to do much to me. It's one damage. And then it's like, oh, look at all these units that have one health. Oh, look <laughs> at the spell equipment I have that has one health. Oh, this is actually really awkward. What do I do? Um, and then there's Tundra Explorer, which I would say my last, like, really high one to look out for. Um, with spells matter, a lot of people are drafting a lot of spells. Tundra Explorer can give you card advantage, and a 3-3 three, three for 3 is good. Um, we've got lots of 3-3s three, for 3s, and having a special effect stapled on, still pass that up. Um, I will, I, I'm going to address this beforehand. A lot of people are going to say, I've never drawn a card off Tundra Explorer. Yeah. That, that happens a lot, <laughs> but there's also times where you do, and you feel great. <laughs> yeah, if you don't, it's still a 3-3 a three, three for 3, and then even if you draw a single card, you're, like, so way above rate that... Think about how a lot of people will attack him with their Lifesteal or Warcry units, even though they can't get past the blocker. They're still getting that effect. Thunder Explorer is kind of a coin flip of that effect. Um, it's like, I'll keep slamming in. You can't do anything about it with your uh, defensive unit, and I can keep trying to draw a card. Right. And there's an advantage to that. Honorable mention to Wild Cloud Snake. If you're in a heavy flyer deck, the Wild Cloud Snake is a great pickup. Um, but you have to have a very high amount of flyers. Now as for the rares, if you see Crystallize, Island's Frost Rider, Shaluk Captain, Shapeshifter's Mask, or Torgov, 
Uh, Primal's probably open and you should take it if it's not pack one, pick one. If it's pack one, pick one, probably worth risking going in, especially with stuff like Islands Frost Rider, which is nutty. <laughs> and Deranged Shadowmancer gets an honorable mention. Again, lots of ping effects can kill it, but if you get even one 5-5 five, five dino off it, it's probably worth it. Though that targets not just your own units, right? That's correct, and that's very useful. Um, you can hit opponent's flyers out of the air. It's like you gave them a 5-5, five, five, but if you have a uh, Snowmass Yoten on the field, why do you care? Yeah. Um, you could mute one of their really good effect units. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they have a bigger unit than you, like, uh, goodness forbid they have a bigger unit than you, but if they do, then they get a 5-5 five, five instead. Suddenly that looks like a downgrade. Right. Uh, anyhow, uh, on to Dark Frontier. Uh, noteworthy commons, I'd say, since the uncommons already got covered mostly. I'd say that Camp Surveyor is often overlooked. Um, a lot of people like playing the Shift 1 Scout. They say, oh, uh, Factory Tally Guide is great. Or, oh, that uh, Displaced uh, Rakdodon or whatever is great. And then Camp Surveyor, what's that card? That's garbage. <laughs> um, it's a worse Scaly Gruon. <laughs> it's a worse Scaly Gruon on a default level, except for the fact that A, Scaly Gruon is pretty good in certain uh, decks. And B, you're scouting. Scouting's great. <laughs> it's certainly a nice card, in my opinion. Uh, I mm-hmm. like picking up one or two of them. Um, Cobalt Coin, one of the most valuable coins, I'd say. Um, if you can get something out of your way and you're trying to ping in with, like, flyers, then you, you might take out your opponent's one big flyer and can now get in there. You might take out one of their uh, effect units that you is really tiny but was giving them boost, like the Bochi of the Sands. Put a cobalt coin on that. Suddenly it's looking pretty useless. Then there's Elder Meditant, which I do think the buff really helps it. Um, one of the valuable things about Twist is that you get that attack power. And having it start as a two attack instead of one is really valuable. Um, I know that a lot of people kind of look at it as a four four or a two two for four. But draw a card is one of the most powerful lines of text that can be had in any card in the game. Right. It's worth looking at a card that says draw a card. Now you might not play the card, but it's worth looking at. And I think Elder Meditant is a very solid role player. For Elder Meditant, is is this a card that you're only playing if you do have, uh, syner- you know, like health-based synergies? Or do you um, think it's fine just as its own as a possible draw one or draw two? It's fine as a draw one, draw two. I've used it before for that. Mm-hmm. Um, is it exciting? No, but it's still acceptable. If you have stuff like the Free Wing Glider, Furnish, other uh, aggressive Earth sign, especially feels good with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're just using it as like a very delayed Wisdom of the Elders, and you have the deck that supports that, okay, that's fine. Then uh, I, I will also say that Murderous Flock really got a nice buff. Uh, four attack, uh, three toughness is a lot better than three three. I know that sounds easy to uh, easy to say, but it really made a difference um, in my play style. I used to ignore that card, even in Primal, and now I actually really like grabbing it. Yeah, well, I can, based on this conversation, I can tell you really like scouting. So yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can see how Murderous Flock sort of fits the bell. But, uh, also take this into uh, account is the fact that it had scout before, or like the scout ability. I still didn't like it as a 3-3. Mm-hmm. That did not feel like the payoff I wanted. So again, scout is its own payoff. It's just a good thing to have. But no, it, it, that buff I will adamantly say really helped it. As for a couple of other like noteworthy comments, uh, death from above and hold under are good if you're like an Elysian. 
uh, having those big time units really they really like it. Mm-hmm. Belligerent Yeti can be good if you've got. I've seen a lot of people uh, synergize that thing, and it's terrifying if you do. Yes. Um, I mean, you're sometimes you have to use cards that would be considered bad. Like people don't usually like running Viper's Bite, but if you happen to have some sort of weird card that synergizes with it, suddenly your entire board is dead, and you're going, "What went wrong with my life?" <laughs> I don't actually mind it; it's just a ping effect. I mean, I use Lockhorns as a ping effect. I'm mm-hmm. perfectly happy to take a long Lockhorn, just saying I can do negative one to an opponent and kill it. Cool. <laughs> right. Um, and then I will also mention Fend Off because I think Fend Off is very good. It's not Flash Freeze level, but it's also a scout. It's stunning unit. It's good. It's also cheap. Great. Well, so that was a lot of great primal information. So I hope that sort of gives people an idea of what to look for in their primal decks and uh, sort of how to get into primal. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Or... I'll say that um, with all this that I've said, it might sound like I'm extremely high in primal above other factions. Let's not get that mis- let's get that misconception out of the way. I think all the factions are good in their own way. I'm sticking up for primal because I think a lot of people have the wrong idea that it's just bad, outright bad. Maybe if you put this all into a vacuum and say that's the worst faction, maybe. But then you go into a draft and primal's open and primal's really good. And that's what I want to get across, is you should not ignore Primal if the signs are saying go Primal. Well, thank you for that, uh, Celtic. Um, So now we're going to move into the draft portion of our podcast. And so this is a draft that I did the other day, and it's a draft that I mentioned earlier that kind of turned into a train wreck. Mm -hmm. And and you mentioned before the show that you had a a few picks that you disagreed with or thought were a little strange. So it's going to be particularly ironic. Uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, one is going to make you go, wait, did you just advocate for this? But <laughs> As for foreshadowing, yes, I, I know what pick you're talking about, yep. but um, I think I, I was a little influenced by reading your show notes and I thought, Oh man, maybe this would be perfect. For <laughs> I will, I will explain in a moment, but anyhow, uh, let's get started. Yes, yeah, so um, the first the first pick I didn't screenshot, but I ended up taking a Quake Titan, which is the the three cost fire card that's a five one that can shift for seven and deal five damage to an enemy. We're just going to assume that was the best card in the pack and not question that. So now we're going into pack uh, pack one, pick two, uh, cards in contention. There's an enhanced excavator, which is the seven time time uh, seven seven. When one of your units attacks, replenish one power, shift five. There is a novice entomancer, which is the three time three three endurance, shift five, play a two two locust with flying. There's a lethri dire beast, which is the three shadow three three lifesteal, shift four, give one of your other units lifesteal until lethri dire beast emerges. And then in fire, there is a blurry chaser. And I would say those are the best cards of the pack. I know, and, that, uh, um, I know that somebody would advocate for the high alert there, but I'm not one of those people. <laughs> yes. No, yeah, I definitely would not take high alert no. above any of these cards. So no. I ended up taking the blurry chaser to stay on color, and I really like blurry chaser. And it's one of, if not the top performing fire uh, commons. Lord uh, Chaser so, is, yeah, it's very strong. I agree. Um, I would say that I, because I'm a bit of a greedy person, I might have gone with the Left Right Dire Beast because that card has been absolutely bonkers from when I've played it. 
Mm-hmm. But um, I very much understand wanting to stay on Faction. and Blurry Chaser is great. Yes. Okay. Well, that's good because actually this was just this pick two was one that I ended up closing the program and being like, I need to think about because it feels like I'm losing a little power, but I just Blurry Chaser seems close enough to those that it seemed worth staying on Faction for. I think in this case, yes. And with if you did not have Quake Titan, if that was like pack one, pick one, I probably wouldn't have gone with it. But with that in mind, sure, I understand it. And and so you would take the Dire Beast over the novice Antimancer. Probably, but I would totally understand going with Antimancer. That's a really good card too. Okay, so now in my pool, there's a Blurry Chaser and a Quake Titan, and uh, so this is pack one, pick three, and cards in contention in fire. There's a Bren Scrying and a Horde Duelist. Uh, in t- yeah, in time, there's a Tremor Shocker, which is the six time time six six shift four. In Justice, there is the uncommon uh, Shield Crafter, which is the five Justice two six onslaught. You gain six armor, and then in Primal, there's a Snowmass Jotun, which is the seven Primal five seven warp shift five. And then in Shadow, there's a Stone Scar Outfitter, which is the 5 Shadow 2-3. Your other units have plus 1 attack, shift 4. None of these cards really inspire me. And so I ended up taking the Snow Masio in, mainly because we were doing a show about Primal today, which <laughs> is maybe not a great reason to do that. But what would you take in this position, do you think? Well, first of all, I see that the Snow Mass Yotin is shiny, so there's a good reason. <laughs> but um, no, let's... Uh... Let's be serious here. Snowmass Jotun, one of its biggest strengths is they go late. They go mm-hmm. really late. So I would have rather just waited and scooped one up when it came to me. Um, I would not have sacrificed a first pick for it. Now, looking at this pack, either Shieldcrafter or Tremor Shocker, probably. Um, I really like Tremor Shocker. I know Crafty Behemoth is supposedly better. I think it is better overall. But Tremor Shocker is just a big, big time unit that often will get through for six damage. But Shieldcrafter has. I am surprised at how well that card has performed for me. It's just been mm-hmm. really, really solid. And uh, I mean, I would have taken uh, Stone Scar Outfitter over uh, Stonemass Jotun. It's just, it's so easy to get Jotuns later. So yeah. that's why I would not have prioritized the pick for it. I love the card. It still would not have been a pick here for me. Okay. So where do you think you would go in this situation? Um, I probably would have picked the Shield Crafter because I'm a greedy person and it's uncommon. Yes. <laughs> um, and I feel like if time was open, I'd get Tremor Shocker later and just be able to discard that. Um, I'm not saying people should pick uncommons over commons all the time. That's that's a very false notion. You shouldn't do it all the time. But oftentimes when I am like torn, I will side for the uncommon because it's more unlikely for me to see it again. Yes, I I I have the same tendency, you know. And I if. Praxis is sort of the color faction that I end up falling into the most. Mm-hmm. It just feels really bad for your first, for me, for the first time card to be Tremor Shocker as a double time influence card. Uh, no, I understand that. Um, I think Tremor Shocker is strong enough that I wouldn't mind, and I do end up in time a lot, so I don't feel like that'd be a huge risk. But uh, and also just like if I'm losing, if I if I wind up in Justice and I pass up a Shield Cracker, it it stinks, but I'll live. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I would have gone with Shieldcrafter just because that card impressed me a lot more than I thought it would. Yeah, and this is a, a, a sort of a spoiler alert, which in pack four, time was so open 
that it almost made me cry. Well, you know, that's one of the weird things. I think that people like drafting time, but time always seems to be open for me. I don't know. I agree. It's crazy. It's the, I felt like it feels the same way as in set five, mm-hmm. where everyone seemed to draft fire, and yet it always seemed to be open. That's how I felt in set five, and I feel the same way with time, where like I'm like, time's one of the best factions, and then it's still always open. But anyway, um, ignoring that, right now we have a Blurry Chaser, a Quake Titan, and a Snow Masyotin, and there is an alternate universe where we also, where instead of the Snow Masyotin, we have a shield crafter but so in this pack uh cards in contention there's a fallen militia man in shadow which is the five shadow one one when another unit dies fallen militia man gets plus one plus one shift three in fire there's a char in primal there's a camp surveyor and a murderous flock and in time there is a displaced arachidon and then in justice there's a high alert Quick note is that Omnus Forlunk is also in this pack, and it's a really good time card. It's double time, but I still would, if I was in time, I would highly recommend it. It's just okay. a kill spell most of the time, and that's perfectly fine. Yes, that's true. Um, I will also give a quick shout out to Call to Arms. I think that card gets overlooked a lot. It's not great, but I've actually had success with it. It's a, it's kind of like sharpened reflexes. Uh, people think that they're going to, it's like, oh, you're going to use a daring maneuver or whatever on me. I'm going to make you waste that trick. Then you wind up putting down like a quick draw unit and whoops, you didn't waste anything. You just got a plus one weapon. They jumped for no reason. So I think that card at least deserves a mention. I wouldn't okay. take it here, but I think it's worth mentioning because I don't, I see almost nobody commenting on it. So for this pack or this pick, I took the char to stay on color with fire. Char is a very acceptable pick. I With this lineup, I'd probably pick it. Um, mm-hmm. If this was like a vacuum and I was, picking one of these and not knowing what the rest was, I might go for Fallen Militia Man. That card's proven to be very strong. If you had taken the Shield Crafter, you're still not... You'd still take the Char over the High Alert? Yeah, I would. Uh, I want the one cost deal two damage over the... Will I have enough to warp this in? Hopefully it'll work out. Oh my gosh, people are going to know this is coming a mile away. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a good card, don't get me wrong, but it's not as good as some people make it out to be. It's just just clunky. It's... um, But... I will still say it's a good card, and you can just get blown out by it. Okay, and my Snow Mask Jotun is not uh, convincing you to take Camp Surveyor or Murderous Flock here? Uh, too early. I would okay. rather pick them up late. Okay. All right, so then uh, pick five, uh, Cards of Contention. There is a Burden Bearer Wisp, which is the two-time 1-3 flying onslaught. You may bounce one of your own units. Uh, there's an Elder Meditant. There's a granite coin, and there's an eviscerate. And I took the granite coin here. It's certainly better than twin flames are going with a fire card. Um, I don't usually like picking coins early. I'd rather they just fall into my lap later. Um, mm-hmm. But that's also a preference of me not really liking depleted power. I have to. Ha- uh, granite coin is good. I, w- I will not say granite coin is a bad coin, but it's it is a cost, and yes. sometimes it won't pay off. If I was picking without without knowing that you were in fire. I would probably, uh, well, I've had some mixed success with Eviscerate or however you say it. It it feels like it should be really good, and then sometimes it just isn't. It um, it is, and we've talked. Uh, ben and I have talked a bunch about it. Eviscerate is shows up surprisingly few times in our the deck lists that we receive. 
You'd think a kill cell would be really good, but I think it's also deceptive in that a lot of people really want to get that onslaught, even though the onslaught tends not to matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and they should just use it as a kill cell and get through instead of saving it. But I think I fall into that trap too, because I love milling. <laughs> I'm a, I will, I will not lie. I use the Sphinx's tutelage card in Magic Duels a lot. Uh, it was just, it was a ton of fun. But um, I know Mill and Eternal is not the same. It's you shouldn't really be looking to do that unless you got like a Warcry on top or something. I think Eviscerate just, I think, it, I don't think it's being played very well, but I also think it's awkward because it's too shadow. It, it costs five. It's a lot. Yes. Um. So I would be tempted to take it, but then I would tell myself, wait, this has not been very good to me recently. So I would probably go with like. With the knowledge that you have a snow mask out, and I'd probably go with the El- Elder Meditant or maybe the Death from Above, because Death from Above could be a really nice way to push through for that lethal. Okay. That card is just a game ender if you have the right setup. The problem is that it does nothing if you're behind. Okay. I, I respect picking Granite Coin here because Granite Coin is very strong. It's just my preference to not pick them early. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm, I was not happy to pick a Granite Coin here. It just seemed like... I, I don't know. I, I'm also with you. I'm not very high on eviscerate right now and even though i i don't know what i was doing even though i picked the snowmasio in uh third pick i'm just i i have i'm colorblind to blue in this current draft <laughs> format so i'm sure elder meditant didn't even like uh, didn't sure. even appear on my radar <laughs> when i was doing this pick when you are in your position you've got a spreadsheet you're looking at constantly you're seeing one fashion not perform very well I think it's just common, like a common line to take where you're thinking that's bad. Shouldn't do that. Um, I think that, I think that you're unfortunately being affected by that in a way that you are having a hard time breaking out that mindset. That's all. No, I agree. I think it goes both ways. You know, it's, it's almost like it's a crutch where it's a lot easier to figure out things when you only have four factions to deal with. But it also means I'm missing like a whole aspect of the game. And if you're doing that, then when it does come your way, it hurts. Um, but I'm also talking as that crazy person who's actually drafted time a lot and had it work and not had justice work very much. So who knows? Yeah, no, I understand. All right. So, okay. So I took the coin. So then going into pick six, um, I have a Blurry Chaser, a Quake Titan, the Snowmass Jotun, a Char, and a Granite Coin. And I'm still trying to, you know, state a state of fire i was a little worried that it was being cut after that last pack where the granite coin was the only one appearing but then pick six uh cards in contention there's a zuberi's longbow which is the two fire two one weapon and when you scout you must sacrifice zuberi's longbow to deal three damage to an enemy uh there is a rally sergeant another granite coin and an oni patrol and then the only non-fire card, actually, is a Gorgon Cutthroat. What? You didn't take the Gorgon Cutthroat? That's common. <laughs> I had somebody play two of those against me in one draft. They did not win. Yeah, I yeah I agree. It's uh, Baffling. Not, not a great card. It's a um, very confusing card. I don't know why it exists, and a lot of people don't know why it exists. I, I agree. It seems like it doesn't really need the downside that it has, but... I think a three-cost a, a three cost Shadow 2-2 two, two Ambush would be fine. I mean, yeah. who played Lunging with? I don't think many people did. And no. that was a, a two-cost 1-2 two Shadow with Ambush. So I don't think a three-cost 2-2 two, two Ambush would be broken or anything. No, I don't think it would be broken. Though it is funny that um, the Xenon um, Smuggler 
has always been our best performing smuggler. Oh, that is funny. Um, no, um, but I think that's more about what it can pull out pull out of the market than just being an ambush. Like, if it was, if you're talking about just effects, I think that uh, the art, uh, hidden road uh, with life steal, I think the life steal would be more valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, that, I know. It's it was it's always been surprising, but for some reason, it keeps it keeps doing well. Hey, um, well, the more, the more you know. Um, but yeah, so what'd you pick? I picked the Zuberi's longbow. I think I would too. Um, now I'm glad that you've clarified must because a lot of people miss that. Zuberi's longbow has an unfortunate downside: you don't get to choose if you scout whether you get to get rid of it or not. You have to. But I will say that three damage is it's basically a free street to play if you're scouting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a bad thing. And yeah, you lose the plus two plus one, but um, that's still a pretty good payoff. Um, I've had a lot of games with Zuberi's Longbow where I've attacked, hit the opponent, then scouted, and then hit them with the effect to get rid of a unit that was not able to block. And that feels really sweet. <laughs> Honorable mention to Rallying Sergeant. I think that card has actually performed a lot better than I expected. Yeah, I just feel like it's, you know, it's not a card you want like two or three of. So, no. and with this many fire cards, I was like, oh, fire probably is open. So I'll probably see one later. So. Yeah. I don't think Zuberi's Longbow is a, you know, a great card, but it seemed worth picking up here. I think Zuberi's Longbow is a good card most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, not every deck wants it, but I, I agree with your pick here, and I, I think I'd take it too. Okay. And then, as most of my drafts go, then um, pick seven. <laughs> we go right in the other direction. So, cards in contention. There's four Justice cards, a High Alert, a Coastal curator an emerald coin and a warfront missionary there's a stone scar outfitter in shadow there's a phase out in time and there is zero fire cards and zero primal cards i think this is just a case of the classic this pack had a ton of fire cards and this pack had a ton of justice cards and yeah. there's you can't do much about those uh variance is a thing variance is a pain but sometimes you just get these drafts and it sucks <laughs> so um, which one did you go with with this really crummy choice i just went with the high alert Okay, I think I would have gone with Outfitter. Um, yeah, I, I like. I, I think I like uh, the idea of going Stone Scar more than Rakana most of the time. But I've also had a couple of very successful Stone Scar drafts recently, so I might be high on it. Yeah, you know, I I think I I prefer. This is funny because despite what I picked, you know, I prefer Stone Scar over Rakana too, and I'm also not particularly high on High Alert. I think. The thing that led me to High Alert, though, is the fact that there were four Justice cards. And Mm -hmm. so it seemed like the possibility that Justice was open was a little higher than Shadow. Mm -hmm. And High Alert was the best Justice card of of the pick here. And so that's kind of why I went Justice, kind of even though I felt like, at least in my pick order, was taking a little hit on power level over um, Stone Scar Outfitter the odds that Justice were open seemed higher. That's fair. Um, I, I think that from what I looked at it, I would just think, oh, that's a really high density of Justice cards in this pack. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's just a way of looking at it. It could have been either. I agree that picking High Alert, if you're going to take a Justice card, that is the strongest here. Um, Emerald Coin can be really good, but again, I don't like picking coins early. Okay. So now um, pick eight here. Uh, cards in contention. Um, the only justice card is Flash Grenade. Uh, the fire card is Sizzleback Salamander. And then there, the 
other three cards are all time, and the best card of the bunch is the Omnivorous Vorlunk, the three-time time, three-one with Killer and Overwhelm. And I took the Vorlunk here, and I think partially that was just because I am not super high on Sizzleback Salamander, and so I don't know. I guess I feel like the last three packs have been so weird that I just figured maybe I should keep my options open, and I ended up taking the Vorlunk. And also, Time is probably my favorite faction in this Mm -hmm. current format, so I think that sort of biased my picks a little bit too. But I think in retrospect, I feel like I should have just stayed on color and picked a Sizzleback Salamander, even though it's not a great card, um, just to keep me as flexible as possible in packs, in the rest of the packs. I'm going to say that I think Sizzleback Salamander, it feels like it should be better than it is. Um, I haven't been impressed with it either. But since you seem to be so much into fire, I think I'd take that over a double time unit and hoping that time's open. I might have taken the Flash Grenade, actually, since you took High Alert. Um, But Flash Grenade has really overperformed for me. I don't like Detain, but I love Flash flash Grenade, so I don't know. (laughs) Oh, that's funny, because I like Detain and Flash Grenade, and... But I I feel like what you've been saying about all the primal commons, like Flash Grenade is not a card that I want to like actively pick. It's like a, a card I want to fall mm-hmm. into my pocket. I agree with that. That's a very good way to put it. But um, I think that this pack is just so bare bones that it would be either Salamander or uh, Flash Grenade. Like, if you were in time already, then yes, yeah, Warlock, Slam it. But you aren't, and it's double time is just a lot to ask. Yes, I agree. But, um, yeah, that, that's just a weird pack. He didn't really have a winning situation there. Yep, so I ended up closing up the the rest of this pack. I picked up a Needle Spitter, a Belligerent Yeti, um, and an Emerald Coin. So nothing really great. So going into pack two, pick one, the cards in contention, there is a Champion of Chaos, which is the three Stone Scar 3-3. Three, three. Uh, champion and if you have three fire influence you get plus one plus one in overwhelm and three shadow influence you get plus one plus one in deadly there is um, as far as fire cards go just a pyre adept and then time has a couple good commons in learned herbalist avarax familiar and refresh and i took the champion of chaos here as sort of the most powerful card and um, you know, I didn't take any shadow cards, but there were shadow cards in mm-hmm. the later packs or in the later picks in pack one. So I figured that uh, Stone Scar could possibly be open. I agree. I would. I have uh, Champion of Chaos is so strong that even if you were splashing it, like um, you get a four, four, three, three. Um, if it's just fire and it has right. overwhelm, that is a very uh, nice floor to have. And the ceiling, if you happen to be in Stone Scar, is is like absurd. There's a reason that this was nerfed one time. Yes. And now it's buffed, and people are like, "Please nerf that again." What, what did you do this for? Um, but uh, no, I love her. She's a great card, and I would be willing to take that risk. Uh, quick mention: the primal uncommons are Icebreaker and Resurface. Those are not the cards you're looking for if you want to be primal. Yes. Just a quick note that this is the kind of reason that Primal gets a bad rap is when people see cards like this and go, that's garbage. It's like, it is garbage. Don't pick those cards. Yeah. Or I guess the more likely thing is you're like, you dream of the possibilities with Icebreaker. Oh. And, 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 
and then you uh, quickly realize how unlikely that is to actually happen. Stuns are very good, but usually that's all you need is for them to be stunned. You don't often have to kill the units. Um, yes. Now, I have seen the dream of Eye of Winter and uh, two icebreakers. I've seen somebody do that, but it's not something you want to go for usually. Eye of Winter is not in the current format, but like, do you really need anything more than Eye of Winter? Yeah, like to throw back to like the Avalanche Yeti, you don't need to kill those units that you stunned. You've got three turns without them doing anything unless they have an effect. And as a side note, you know why I've lost sometimes when I've gotten Avalanche Yeti on the field? Because my opponent then got an Avalanche Yeti of their own. Yeah. And then I, I just lost because my units were locked down while theirs were. Uh, just to give you an idea of how absurd that card can be. Anyway, yes, I agree with Champion of Chaos. That seems like a great pick. Okay, great. So then um, pack, uh, pack two, pick two. Cards in contention. The only shadow card is a rat cage. Yeah, fire cards. There's the backpacker's machete and a clan wall breaker. Um, in primal, there's a torrential downpour, but you said you prefer to get those late. And then in time, there's nothing really great. There's a envelop, which is the bounce for an attacking enemy unit. And then there's a dispel. And so I took the backpacker's machete as I think the strongest card in this pack? I would slam the backpacker's machete since you're in fire. And even if you weren't in fire, maybe, because most of these cards are either mediocre to not good. Like you said, torrential downboard's light pick. Cryptic etchings goes late. I'd rather get one there. I don't want my pack uh, to pick two to be one of those. <laughs> right. Um, I know that there are some people who are all aboard the worn shield train. I'm, I'm not one of them. <laughs> um, but backpacker's machete is really strong, and it's Easily, in my opinion, the best card here. So then pack two, pick three, uh, cards in contention. There's an, in fire, there's an improvised rubbler, uh, which is the seven fire, 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 five, five uh, relic weapon with the summon play two, one, one grenadine. There's also a ruin. Um, and then in shadow, there's not really great shadow cards. There's just the lock horns and inspire obedience. And then in time, there's a horned Vorlunk and a Viper's Bite. And then uh, Primal and Justice also have a pretty mediocre unit. Mm -hmm. So not a lot to pick from. I would say of this pack, probably Horned Vorlunk would be in a vacuum, my like mm -hmm. number one pick. But because I was in fire, I ended. I took the improvised Rubbler. Um, I will say that I'm a greedy, greedy person when it comes to improvised rubbler, and I'll try and take it when I know I'm in fire. Mm -hmm. um, I don't always recommend that. Three fire is a lot. Yes, it costs seven. You'll probably have three fire by then if you're heavily in it, but you have to be heavily in it. You can't just splash this. Um, but it, it's a good payoff if you can get there. Oh, interesting. See, I just like... Uh, it, it is always, even when I'm in fire, my first cut, you know, <laughs> when I'm making my deck usually... Well, if you're like an if you're an aggressive load of the ground fire deck, you don't want it. I understand yeah. that. But um, for me, uh, I often I don't usually make like the really fast aggros. I usually like to have a longer game. Mm -hmm. And improvised rubbler, uh, five five relic weapons big, and making the two grenade is not uh, useless. It helps you defend the weapon. It lets you get an onslaught in if you need it. Um, it, it's just a strong card if you can get there. I think it gets a little bit overlooked, but I also understand that there's usually better cards to take than that. In this pack specifically, uh, yeah, that's kind of the one good thing. I'd rather get a Lockhorn's Light than pick it now. Okay, good. So yeah, so I ended up taking the Improvised Rubbler there. 
Then um, pack two, pick four. I, I think you'll notice the theme. There's just like not a, these weren't great packs. No. <laughs> Cards in contention. Uh, in fire, there's a backpacker's machete and a pummel. The shadow card is not great. It's just a cabal scavenger. There is no justice card. There's no time card. And in primal, there is a lightning strike, a scaly gruon, and a far place finder. And a crystal dirk. We all and know a, how good that card is. And a crystal dirk, yes. So I ended up taking the backpacker's machete here, mm-hmm. which was the second one. Yeah, it just didn't seem worth uh, trying to make my snowmass Jotun work and yeah. pick up a lightning strike <laughs> right now. Uh, primal's been pretty cut. I, I know that it seems like it might not have been, but the fact that you're seeing, even with the bad comments that people talk about, there haven't been many of those either. It just primal has not been in many of these packs. It's not worth trying to make it work. Um, and I say that as somebody who likes primal. So there you go. Read the signs. That's not the faction you're supposed to be in. So now pack two, pick five uh, cards in contention. In shadow, there is a sewer sludge, which is the one shadow O one that gains plus one plus one if you play a unit with more attack or health. There is a seed of chaos, which is the uh, stone scar seat, which is depleted unless you play, unless you have a sigil in your hand. In fire, there is a pit fighter, time a refresh, and then uh, the rest of the cards aren't great either. And so this was really for me a debate between the sewer sludge and the seed of chaos, and I ended up taking the sewer sludge here. I would have slammed the seed of chaos so fast just to make sure that the champion of chaos would work. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rather have that payoff than worry about trying to get Sewer Sludge to work. Um, now, I know a lot of people are really down on that card. I've had some success with it. I don't think it's a bad card, and I've taken it in fair, a fair amount of shadow decks, but not when there's a sea of chaos right there and you know you want champion of chaos to work. That's true. Yeah, I. Uh, this is my, this is my, oh, the, the debate I always have with myself is like, obviously I do have the champion of chaos, which makes this maybe more moot, but you know, it's like one of those situations where do I take the CA to chaos now or do I like make sure I have like a couple shadow cards? Because right now Champion of Chaos is my only shadow card. I understand that. But the thing about it is like if I take a sewer sludge and I find fixing, I'm not going to slash a sewer sludge. That's not worth it. Um, right. it. I would rather. And I mean, if I were to take a sea of chaos and suddenly I'm in shadow, hey, that sea of chaos is good. If, it's, if I'm not in shadow, hey, I can still use Champion of Chaos. Mm-hmm. Well, meanwhile, the sludge is like, Okay, if I'm in Stone Scar, that's good, I guess. Uh, it could be good, but it's not worth speculating on that specifically, I think. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree in retrospect. I, okay, so uh, pack, uh, pack two, pick six, uh, cards in contention. In Shadow, there is a Sorrow Shroud, which mm-hmm. is the three shadow weapon, or one two weapon. There is a Scavenging Vulture. In Justice, there is a Valkyrie Militant and a Detain. And so I took the Scavenging Vulture here. I don't like Sarah Shroud. And if you're going to try and be with Shadow, I think having one Vulture is nice, at least. I've always liked having one, especially if you get like a Beast College Amulet or something. I know you exactly. guys talked about that in a recent episode. I like having a flyer. Exactly, yeah. You can see the listeners obviously can't right now, but I sort of cut out every color but Shadow and fire from my deck right now. So I was kind of thinking of myself as Stone Scar. I mean, I think in actuality, I had just as many um, Justice cards as I had yeah. Shadow cards. So maybe the Valkyrie Molten. 
that might have been acceptable. I understand that. It's just that <laughs> I, I know how crazy Champion of Chaos gets. So I would like to make that work if possible. And if I see in the next pack that there isn't much shadow, I'd, I'd reluctantly go back to Justice. So now uh, going into pack three. Um, Looks like you got a Flickerling. That's a good yeah. card. Yep, I got a Flickerling. And that is in a that is it in shadow for the rest of the pack. I also picked up a couple fire cards like a clan wallbreaker. Um, yeah, yeah, so not great. So then um, these next couple picks I think are not particularly interesting, but I'm just wondering if any of these are giving you vibes that I should jump ship. Let's so, take a look. Uh, yeah. Well, pack one is always hard to tell. It, you, yeah. you don't have anything to read on. It, well, you could have gotten another rat cage. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so uh, pack three, pick one, uh, cards in contention. In shadow, the only shadow card is rat cage. Uh, there's a diplomatic seal. Uh, in justice, there's a rampart arbalist. And then in time, there's an awakened sentinel, a cryptic etchings, a death strike, a viper's bright. And in fire, there is a pummel. I took Sorry. the pummel as being, I think, better than Rat Cage, obviously, and me thinking that I'm in Stone Scar still. See, the only cards that I would actually consider first picking here are probably Arbalist, maybe Awakened Sentinel, and Pummel. Just based on what you, just based on what you have, you can't use Arbalist very well. That would require heavy swing into justice. Um, so I think Pummel's correct. There's just not much to work with. Yeah, though, you know, like we were just saying, is I do actually have a few Justice cards. Mm -hmm. It's just I had sort of taken them out of my out of my deck and put them in the pool. But I when, just... I, when I look at the Justice cards, none of them excite me enough to make me really want to go for Arbalest. Okay, yeah. So And I, I agreed. I played it safe. I took the pummel. So then uh, pack three, pick two. Uh, cards in contention. Uh, in fire, once again... All there really is is a pummel. Uh, there's also a pit fighter. And then in justice, there is a soaring guard. In time, there's a awakened sentinel and a watchful Ar uh, Aminara. And then the only shadow card is a transmogrifier, which is not a great card. So, so the two questions here, once again, is, you know, it's always hard to tell in these early picks. But still not a lot of great shadow cards, not a lot of great fire options. So, uh, you know, the question is, is it worth starting? You know, do, at what point do you think is it worth starting to think of a, of maybe switching gears? Not this pack. Not this yeah. pack because the rare or legend was taken. Um, that's it. That's all you get to know is that somebody saw a rare or legend and took it. Maybe it was a yeah. good one. Maybe they were rare drafting. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I almost never let the influence of, if, if I get to pack, a pack two of any set and just the very legend is gone i almost never take that for anything yes so i would i mean if i were looking at this if i was really desperate for units maybe the pit fighter but i think i'd just go with the second pummel mm -hmm. and yeah and that was my other question you know it's now uh pack three pick two and i currently only have eight units and one of them is a needle spitter <laughs> well <laughs> If you want to run the needle spitter, take the pummel, I guess. But um, uh, in all seriousness, I think I'd still go with pummel here just because pit fighter unpacked in the second pick feels really bad. Mm -hmm. um, now, maybe it's correct since you already have a pummel, but I kind of like having another trick in case you don't find any daring maneuvers or whatever. Um, yeah. if, 
If we were in a vacuum, I'd slam the Aminara, but we don't have time. Right. In more ways than one. <laughs> yes. All right. So, yep. So that's uh, that's it for the um, for the draft portion. I ended up continuing to force Shadow. I did pick up a couple more good Shadow cards in that um, third pack. I got an Extract. I got a Mob Roll. And then I also picked up a Blood Nurse, Angry Prophet, and a Fallen Militiaman in the fourth pack. But what what really happened was pack pack four and pack three, as you could kind of see at the beginning of pack three, was time was so open. And oh. um, but I, you know, based on our conversation, it seemed like there really wasn't a point where I should have pivoted into time yeah no um you can't judge based on the first two picks unless like somebody passed up a really good rare um, yeah. or something and, um, there and there wasn't any like yeah i didn't get past like there wasn't like pack three pick three a bomb rare or, or you know yeah. there was no bomb rares or anything i saw it was just like there was always a good time card uh -huh. and there was like very rarely a good fire or shadow card and then yeah. in pack and then pack four, I got past. I actually ended up taking it. Um, I took a Kimi. I got, mm. I, and I actually took a Corrupted Behemoth. But I got past two corrupt. There was like two Corrupted Behemoths. There was a Kimi, and there was like a couple. There was another time rare. But by pack four, it seemed so hard yeah. to switch gears that I, I really, I didn't. I don't think there was a point where you could have told. Uh, there's just some drafts where I look at it and go, this faction seemed to be kind of open, but what was I supposed to use as a signal to go into it? I didn't see anything. And yeah. I think that's just, I think you just got a hard uh, draft to navigate through. In retrospect, looking back at it, oh, maybe time was the right way to go, but you don't have that retrospect until now. You can't change that. Yeah. No, I I agree. And uh, I think the I think the deck actually looks okay. Uh, it's not like, I'm not excited about it, but it's got some nice stuff. Um, Angry Prophet is overperformed, in my opinion. Um, I I've liked Mob Rule, and, and obviously Extract is great. I'm not really crazy about Blood Nurse, I, but it looks like you don't have many units. That's the main problem. Yeah, that's exactly. It's just I'm very low on playable, so I do think I have some okay, some okay cards. But like, even though I don't think this deck needs 18 power, I have to play 18 power. And even just to get to that, I still had to play a Bren Scrying just because I didn't have enough sort of Stone Scar playables. Um, uh, I understand that. That is rough. Um, I will say that I myself, whenever I play 18 power, I flood. Whenever I play 17, it feels right. <laughs> yeah. Even in, even in decks where I really want a lot of power, I go with 17 because I just feel like I'm flooding like crazy if I go 18. Mm -hmm. That's just a preference thing, though. I know some people swear by 18, and that's acceptable, of course. Yeah, I mean, I mostly play 18, though I've been sort of leaning towards 17 recently. But like I was saying, I just mm -hmm. I just don't have the I didn't have the playables. It's like it was uh, I would I mean, I'd almost say I'd almost say Splash Kimmy, even without the, the fixing, just because some of these cards are so weak. But consistency is its own strong point. And yeah, well, that's actually that was my next question was, oh. is it worth splashing Kimi or Corrupted Behemoth in this deck without any help, you know, because I don't have any time fixing. Let's, so. say, let's say that we look at your shadow cards. Let's <laughs> say that we're willing to sacrifice Extract, even though Extract looks 
I mean, even though Extract is really good, let's just say that because it's double shadow, we sacrifice it and splash like maybe your best shadow cards and then maybe go heavier into the behemoths or something. I, I think I think it's risky, but I think that leaning on the fact that you've got some real big bombs might actually pay off more. That's a hard call. I'm, I would understand anyone arguing just to stick with Stone Scar and say, I'm going to consistently pray that I get this champion of chaos as a 5-5 five, five, and people can't deal with it. Yeah. Um, I understand if you say, here's the backpackers machetes on the vampire bats or whatever, and hope they don't have something better than that. So I understand if people would say, stick with Stone Scar. I might be tempted to go with the Kimmy and Behemoths just because your unit count is so low and those would really shorten up. Um, and I mean, if you're getting rid of like, I don't know, um, if you're getting rid of uh, Life Drinker and Sorrow Shroud, I don't think you're going to miss those that much. Mm-hmm. And so you would keep the Extract even at double I would. I would not. That's me. Um, it's too risky if you're going to go three in this deck specifically. Yeah, so how do you feel about Improvised Rubbler in that situation then? That probably needs to go. <laughs> Yeah, but see, that's, that's probably the, a bad one. That's the problem. Is like I splash these two cards that these two yeah. time cards that are really great, but then I end up in order to su- yep. <laughs> support that. No, I have it, to. It's a rock and a hard place. I've had to make that decision before, and I have not ever felt happy about it. But then when I played the deck, sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. Yeah. Uh, remember the uh, uh, Steelbound Dragon being splashed, and that somehow got me seven wins <laughs> from a draft way past win. Great. Okay. Well, so that's our draft. So I think that's the end of our show. So I first want to thank you for coming on. This was really fun. Thank you um, for having me. I had a great time. Yeah. So you're a Celtic Seven Guardian in game. So if anyone sees you, um, you know, say hello to Celtic. Feel She's free to send be- me an invite. I will not be angry at you unless you were emote spamming me, in which case I might be somewhat cross. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> No, seriously, I like uh, I like it when people send me friend requests and we talk about how our decks did and such. And then once again, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Thumbs up all of Barefoot Farmer's Reddit posts. And also, uh, Ben set up a Discord for the show this week. Oh. Uh, we currently have no one in it because we haven't advertised it yet. <laughs> but I will post a link to it in our show notes so everyone could join us. I'm really excited about that because... I think uh, Discord's just something that I can look at on my phone, and so I will be more than happy to join in any discussions that happen. And uh, based on all the emails we get, you know, we have, I've mentioned this before, but we have a lot of passionate people. You know, we've had over 100 different people send in deck lists to us, and, you know, people are often talking about their decks and how they did and what they want to do better. And I think if we could move some of that to Discord and people could really see how excited people are about draft and, you know, all the great discussion that's been happening, I think that would be a really good thing. So that's one of the reasons we set up Discord. So I would highly recommend um, everyone join that so we can sort of everyone can see all the discussion we're having and we can get more people involved. Yeah, that sounds exciting. I'd like to join up. Quick note that I forgot to mention, I've really appreciated all the feedback Ben's given me. He's been a very nice person to talk to. Yeah, he's he's super thoughtful and super nice. And it's it's really amazing that all the work he puts in to both, I mean, entering all the deck lists and responding to everyone. And I that's one of the things is I think if, you know, everyone could see that and we could just have more people kind of doing what Ben is doing, 
I think it would be really great for the drafting community. Yeah. And then finally, um, don't forget to send in all your seven win deck lists to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And you can find a link to the Discord, to our spreadsheets, and our website all on all in the show notes. And remember to keep on farming. Bye. Bye.